Welcome to Enemies from War to Wisdom. Why do we need enemies? From intimate relationships to politics, tribalism, and community, we cannot seem to stop dehumanizing each other. Chronic conflicts in our families, societies, and nations seem inevitable. In this podcast, we analyze human hostilities from the most mundane to the most sophisticated. We apply psychology, psychoanalysis, art, spirituality, and relational theory in conversation about belonging and otherness. Each program will reach for a fresh wisdom that shows us how to step back from creating enemies in our lives. I'm your host, Eleanor Johnson, a videographer and artist with Emma Troop, an experimental theater group in New York City, and I am here with my co-host, Polly Young Eisendratt, who is a psychologist, Jungian analyst, author, and speaker. We approach our ideas each from our own worlds, but always from the spirit and teaching of Buddhism, of which we are lifelong practitioners. This is Gary Jevitt, and I will be joining our host, Polly Young Eisendrath and Eleanor Johnson for part two of a discussion about the fear of death. Is there anything else you want to add about where we are right now and talking, just talking about the way the science of consciousness that's developing, and it's developing in physics, it's developing in cognitive science, and it's developing in medicine. It's not developing in some other specialties right now, like neuroscience is not developing it yet, because there's a belief in neuroscience that consciousness is generated by the brain, Mm -hmm. rather than consciousness is generating the brain, which is in this new kind of science that's called the science, the new science of consciousness. The idea is the brain is a filter, it's in a field of consciousness, it's not generating consciousness. And so, but within this new paradigm that involves death, that puts it squarely into life. You know, is there anything else we want to say about fear before we just talk for a moment about the different kinds of death that people are facing, you know, when they think about death? I mean, the thing that comes to me is that I'm just, again, the awareness that these, these, are, the, these are very dark times, they're like the worst of times, but simultaneously they're also the best of times. There's opportunities that are awakening you know, in the face of all of this collapse and this decimation of, of, of so much that we've held sacred. So you've got, you know, you've got this awakening happening simultaneously with all of this terrible destruction that's going on and, and, and all the different levels of fear that are in everybody's life right now, especially also because of, you know, the fear that there's not going to be a planet. But that's a kind of, I mean, yeah, that's you know, a whole that's other. A, it's yeah. a mistake to think in those terms. It's truly a mistake. We well, don't control the planet. Well, no, I know that, but I'm saying that's in the zeitgeist right now. I know, but I mean, I feel like that's one of those mistakes that humans make. We're always grandiose. Well, there we go. You know, I mean, like, like the idea that we're going to save the planet or destroy the planet, we're not going to do that. Well, a lot of people fear that you know the planet, that that Earth itself is going to be destroyed. I mean, that's a that's a different dynamic. Well, that's the Earth. In the, the culture with humans right now. on it. Humans, yeah, the earth will be fine. Yeah. Humans, yeah. humans. The exactly. human world, the human, the human enterprise. Yes, yes. yes. Human enterprise. That's why it yeah. sounds so grandiose when yeah. people say the earth is going to be destroyed. Yeah. Look, no, hey, the earth, I, that's we're my species. mistake. Human, human, when humanity. We're gone, yeah. you know, the no, the earth is going to be fine. Mother Nature knows well, more than uh, we do. There's a lot of there's a lot of other species that are going down with it. That's I don't right. know if we're going down, but yeah. you know, let's yeah. say we are. You know, we're taking a lot of 
other life with us. That's right. But then, you know, there have been mass extinctions yes, before. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. Well, there, that seems yeah. to be inevitable. Mass mm -hmm. extinction yeah. seems inevitable mm -hmm. on the Earth. Yeah. This is space-time. Mm -hmm. The end is inevitable. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to keep on framing this. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because when people say something like the end of the Earth, the Earth is going to end anyway. This is yeah. space-time. Everything's ending. Yeah. But, you know, what, what actually is important is how you behave right now mm -hmm. in terms of consciousness mm -hmm. because consciousness is not ending in this paradigm consciousness goes on the creation of this particular solar system or whatever mm -hmm. looks like that's going to end consciousness goes on mm -hmm. and so you know the way you participate in it creates possibilities i would like to share something if i may before polly goes mm -hmm. into the closure that mm -hmm. she wants to go into and i'd like to just share this because it's something that Thich Nhat khan said and we've just lost this great buddhist master mm -hmm. and he wrote in, in 2016 he said and this is so appropriate to what we're talking about he said even when the cloud is not there it continues as snow or rain it is impossible for the cloud to die it can become rain or ice but it cannot become nothing the cloud does not need to have a soul in order to continue. There's no beginning and no end. I will never die. There will be a dissolution of my body, but that does not mean my death. I will continue always. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, just to share that in terms of what we've been talking about and also that Thich Nhat Hanh just left the earth realm. It's out in consciousness. <laughs> well, it, you know, the idea that I will continue always can be confusing to people because of the I in there. Uh -huh. I think a lot of times in this materialist world, people think, well, my body will become the earthworms and that will become the leaf and that will become the cloud and so on and so forth. That's true in, within space-time. But the, the issue is that consciousness doesn't stop right. with the death of the body. Right. And so the eye that continues is the trace of Thich Nhat Hanh yes. in the development of the mind stream that he is, let's say, riding on. Embedded he's in. Embedded yes. in. He's right. in a mind stream. Mm -hmm. And um, that mind stream is, by the Buddhist teachings, individual. So it doesn't just diffuse itself into everything, mm -hmm. but it carries forward. Conscious death. Mm -hmm. It's a very, that's emerged for me as a very interesting aspect of all of this development. Yes. Conscious death, of course, is practiced by many lamas and spiritual practitioners. But when we talk about fear of death, uh, very often in the West, the person dies with medication yeah. and is not really very conscious right you know uh, in fact the the goal there is that it since they must be suffering since they're dying we'll medicate them so they won't the suffer pain, yeah but in fact it seems to me and and i think about this i don't want to be unconscious when i die i want to be as conscious as i've ever been you that's know right. I, I really am very curious right you know i right. maybe that's Maybe I'm a small well, subset of people, but... A lot but of people I, I, are writing that, you know, yeah. putting that down and getting it legally right. certified in, in a way that... Supported. It, and, and given to the, yeah. you know, to your doctor and yeah, stuff. Your that, last, so that, yeah, your last yeah. Well, it's the advanced directive. Advanced yeah. directive, I couldn't think of, yes. Advanced directive, you can, yes. you know, say what you want at the time yes. you're dying. Mm -hmm. But you're raising a very good issue that's good segue into the thing that I was going to say about different kinds of death. Mm -hmm. 
because the issue, again, if you understand that death is primarily a transition into a different state. So life and death are bound together. Mm -hmm. Birth is the transition mm -hmm. into this bardo of life. And then death is the transition into the bardo of rebirth. So it's a, it's a constant development. Mm -hmm. it's, there's not a break in that development. So then at the time that you're dying, to become conscious is really important because you're going to be transferring into a state of being in which you are, you may be able to choose your next existence. Now, from, from a Buddhist perspective, you have to be at a certain level of spiritual development. And the, the level of spiritual development is characterized, first of all, by lack of regret at the end of life. That you don't have something that pulls you back to your previous life, you don't regret. So you're free to move forward. And then beyond that, by your ability to remain curious and interested in what is developing at that moment of death. And of course, there's a specific moment of death, which is very brief. And then there's a transfer into the rebirth bardo. And so the way that you make that, you negotiate, let's say, that transition is not so different than the way you negotiate your transitions in everyday life. Like you can pay attention to what you are doing or you can just be unconscious. And of course the habit is to be unconscious and we are mostly unconscious. But the way you train yourself to pay attention to your speech and your actions when you're living leads to good training when you're in the bardo of dying mm -hmm. and then when you're when you're at the transition of death itself mm -hmm. and so what you were saying also is important for these different kinds of death mm -hmm. you know so there's death by murder death by suicide there's accidental death and there's natural death now of all of those categories, and this is just kind of summarizing things in a general way because each one of those categories also has categories within it, but it is very, very good for uh, myself and all of you to hope for a natural death because the natural death gives you the developmental transitions that would allow you to be as conscious as possible. If you're killed in an accident, you're killed essentially kind of prematurely, you're cut off from your experience without being able to, to ready yourself. If you're killed in a, in a conflict like a murder or whatever, often there's already emotional distress that's going on by the time that you go through that moment of death. And then of course, if you're killed by suicide, you are actually the murderer. So you're, you're killing the being and also experiencing that being, being killed. So you're in a very complicated emotional state in that situation, one that does not predispose you towards consciousness. So the best way to die is to die a natural death. A natural death also has that ability to remain conscious through it. So if you, if you medicate people too much, uh, so they lose their capacity to be conscious when they're in the process of dying, then it is difficult for them to pay attention. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I heard His Holiness the Dalai Lama saying 
if someone he said this at a conference at Middlebury College, if someone has a practice, um, you shouldn't really give them very much morphine. You should be very careful not to. If they don't have a practice, he said, try to make them comfortable, but not too much. Don't give too much. Because then they lose this consciousness, which is the whole point of the death experience, yeah. is to be conscious. It's the crowning mm -hmm. moment. You know, it's yeah. like that's the moment when you want to be conscious. So the conditions in which you die, the way that you're prepared in terms of your own consciousness, the community around you, all of this you can plan for. You can have an advanced directive. But of course, it might not happen that way. But the more that you are aware that there is such a transition, the, the easier it is to stop fearing death and be interested in it instead and, and join with it because you've always been in it. Since you've been here, you've been dying. You, you're never separated out from death. you know. And so you already know how to die. You already know how to fall asleep at night where you lose your consciousness. You already know what it feels like to, you know, lose cells in your body, have illness, various things that would be on the entropy side of things. So my, my feeling is that as, as people can understand, and I think through this science, they're going to understand it better than through the spiritual teachings, because we're in this materialistic time, it's hard for people to truly believe that the spiritual teachings are accurate. Certainly seems like the opening wedge. To changing yes. the paradigm. Yes, it does to me too. And because yes. many people who are following this type of science, they can't they can't look the other way. That's right. Yeah. That's right. If you if you're looking for science in this period of your life mm -hmm. to help you find the truth, and I think you should be looking mm -hmm. at science, not at commercials about science, mm -hmm. not at pharmaceutical companies not at corporations that are peddling products to make profit, mm -hmm. but at science itself. It's a great method. Mm -hmm. It is a great method to find the truth. And if you're looking at science seriously, you won't be able to ignore this very much longer. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, will change our fear of death towards um, you know, maybe having a real question of what am I becoming when I'm dying? And, and to know that Whatever you will be coming, you, if you're conscious, you'll have a choice in it. Mm -hmm. And so instead of amassing a great deal of wealth, perhaps, you know, develop consciousness and kindness and engagement and realize that that is the most protective factor for yourself, you being a homo sapien human being person. And that that would be the thing that people, can you imagine what the world would be like if people were helping each other practice to make this transition? And when you think of all that. the things they do put energy into that don't necessarily make the world a nicer place. Right, right. It's a lot of energy. For those of us who have been, you know, poet practitioners for so many years and, yeah. Well, maybe this is also a moment to talk about. Let's talk about it, uh, POA because, you know, we just throw out the term and people don't know what that is. And it's spelled, the injection of consciousness. Well, it's spelled P-H-O-W-A. Yeah. So because people don't even know how it's spelled P-H-O-W-A. The so, Tibetan Buddhist tradition of POA, transference of consciousness at the moment of death. So what does it mean? Well, I mean, for me, I've been 40 years as a poet, and it's, you know, I've been involved in the interior yoga 
of preparing myself for the moment of death and being able to eject my consciousness. And I don't want to get too much into it because it's, it, it's outside of the realm of most people's understanding. But also I have been a midwife and have accompanied so many people through the dying process. And it's a, it changes one's whole, I mean, for me, in many ways, POA has changed my whole understanding and relationship to life. In what way, would you say? In the sense of paying attention. Paying attention. I mean, really paying attention to the quality of living and to the best of my ability, how I can practice accountability, responsibility, relationship of self to other, mm -hmm. and to not, and to doing no harm. I mean, to, be, to, to work as consciously as I can. It's been profound because it's like with every inhale and every exhale, you're dealing with that, that coherence between life and death. Right. And so you start to treasure life. You start to treasure, and you, and it also, it's also given me the kind of awareness to be in present time, to kind of unravel all my narratives and all that ego stuff and all that shadow, and and just have that willingness and the privilege of being able to be with others who are suffering in the dying process and be there for them. And to work with them and to accompany them like a surrogate in a sense. How do you understand POA? And um, what it adds? Well, Eleanor has said some very pertinent things there. I guess I would add that when I encountered POA and the idea of POA and had absorbed it and so forth and learned a little bit about it, I suddenly had a different feeling about death in the sense of I felt like I had a certain measure of competence to deal with death. It's an actual practice and procedure, both for others, right, uh, helping them with yes. their death, yes. and, you know, for oneself, that one has this ability. So I wanted to add something about POA because I think it may, it also clarifies some of the issues that we were talking about earlier. My understanding of POA is that it's a practice to perfect your bodhisattva vows. And the vows that you take are the vows to save all beings. And so how does a conscious death contribute to saving all beings? And it contributes because you are able to choose your next life so you can be of optimal help to beings. So if you die consciously, you can enter a hell realm in a way that helps other beings in a very precise way. But if you die unconsciously, you may be swept into a realm of desire in which you become one of those greedy materialists who wants to amass grotesque wealth. So, you know, the, the way that your mind is situated at the time of death is very important to a bodhisattva vow, to the vow of helping others, because you can choose then an environment for helping, or you can come into a, a wisdom that helps in a very precise way. Whereas if you go the other direction and say you've developed some powers of consciousness in the existence you've, you're in right now, but you fall into desires for that lifetime, like the lifetime that you've just lived, which can't be repeated, then you could fall into the realm of hungry ghost or 
power gods, both of which are very destructive because of the being wanting to accumulate things that where desires are never fulfilled. You know, so the the idea that a conscious death is part of the bodhisattva path is something that is made very precise in Inpoa practice. Because in that practice, you're attempting to go to the pure land where you can make the decision about the next life. It's not like you are then going to get off the wheel of life and death. You're going to make a more precise decision about where you're going to help. So in that way, you can see how the moment of death connects to this idea of helping and saving other beings. And also, it connects particularly well to karma and to the the notion that your intentional actions, you're going to experience the consequences of them. And you know, one of the ways is, is in the yeah. life review is the consequences. Oftentimes, too, they talk about POA as it's the, the essence of all Buddhism is in it. You know, it's all there. And, and I, as I was listening to you, Polly, I thought, you know, in, in many ways, you almost have to have the Bodhisattva impulse to be a POA practitioner. I mean, it's not an easy practice. It also occurs to me to say, though, that because you said about conscious rebirth, I, my understanding is that POA is uh, otherwise referred to as the fifth yoga of Naropa. Yes. yes. There are six yogas of Naropa. Right. The sixth one is conscious rebirth. Right. So, but I, I'm, and I hadn't really heard it expressed the way you just expressed it that. Oh, it gets you out, and you can sort of go to a way station of consciousness. That's the pure land. That's yeah. the pure land. Yes. And then from there, you can strategize then you can have your rebirth. Way. Then you complete the six. And I have not studied the sixth yoga, and I don't mm -hmm. know what its uh, Tibetan equivalent word would be for that practice. Well, But they don't really teach it, as far as I know, to... Well, lay practitioners. Well, no, you have to complete the bodhisattva path. So the bodhisattva path yeah. is one in which you're delaying your full enlightenment mm. in order to help other beings. Right. So the Buddha was a bodhisattva, and then he completed by becoming a Buddha. Mm. But then once you, well, in the history of Buddhism, initially everybody was striving for the Buddha mm -hmm. incarnation, you know, where you could be get, could, to reach that level to get out of space time. But then, as as things evolved through the teachings of the Buddha Dharma, what became clear is that because of our our fundamental non separation from all beings, all beings do have to be liberated for truly to be liberated, any being. And so then you promise, I'm going to delay my individual attempt to sort of get off space-time, which, again, this gets into a lot of particularities that I think uh, are hard to pull apart. But your dedication, the promise, is to delay your own enlightenment so that you can help all the beings that are in your world cycle. And the way to help them is to be conscious in life and death. And so, again, if you think that life and death are never separate, the mistake we make is to say, this is my life and this is my death. No. When you're in samsara, your death is the beginning of a rebirth. 
your birth is the beginning of death. That's the way samsara goes. That's the wheel. And so if you become conscious in that, the consciousness is most important at the time of death. Because then you can choose, you can stay and choose to help. And you can also be fully liberated and get off the wheel of life and death at that, that moment of death. But if you've taken bodhisattva vows, you've already, you already decided to stay. You know, a lot of people don't realize that. It's like, hey, you took some bodhisattva vows. That means you're not getting off the wheel. You know, you've, you've already vowed to do that. And so that staying, if you can stay with conscious choice for your next lifetime, you can help in a more optimal way and thus furthering the freeing of all beings, mm -hmm. you know, in this world cycle, in this, in this uh, space time that we're in. That's why the idea of consciousness at the time of death, and so when poet practitioners help others, transfer their consciousness. They're trying to help them transfer into the pure land. So power practice does not transfer your consciousness into liberation. It transfers it into a situation where you can choose mm -hmm. another lifetime consciously. So in that sense, it is the sixth yoga because if you complete it, then you choose. And then there are many there are many kinds of bodhisattvas. Also, there are many realms then that you you may inhabit other realms other than you know say the human realm in the next lifetime, but you don't get out of space time. So you know it's to me poa one thing about poa practice that often doesn't get mentioned is that it's a bodhisattva practice. So you're staying to help, and so the way you help is the time of death, you become conscious in what you're choosing to do in your next lifetime. So it fits very much with the other things we were talking about. The importance of the way that you help others affects you at the time of your death in your life review. And then what happens to you after your death affects your ability to help others. So it becomes a kind of a circle of helping. That's the way I see poet practice, is that it's, it's, uh, it's part of your bodhisattva vow that your death would be used most usefully for your ongoing dedication to helping. Well, that's a wonderful uh, explanation of Buddhism. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have time to, I could read the uh, bodhisattva prayer at the, at the moment with you know, at the moment of death where, you know, the master say, if you could say this prayer. Yeah, sure. And from the, um, the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, may I be a protector to those without protection, a leader for those who journey, and a boat, a bridge, a passage for those desiring the further shore. May the pain of every living creature be com completely cleared away. May I be the doctor and the medicine, and may I be the nurse for all sick beings in the world until everyone is healed. Just like space, the great element such as earth, may I always support the life of all the boundless creatures, and until they pass away from pain, may I also be the source of life for all the realms of varied beings, that reach unto the end of space. Yeah, it's really nice, yes. And, and that's very much in the Bodhisattva line, 
It's the Bodhisattva prayer. Right. Shantideva. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, at your time of dying is where you're most able to really be helpful. So again, looking at death, not separated from life, it's never separated, but it is a particular kind of transition that you can practice for, you can also help others through, and you can begin to see it as the ongoing development of consciousness through this world cycle, through this space-time, or this, you know, it's, it's like samsara, space-time, they are limited. There is an edge to them. And more and more science is seeing that as well. And then outside of that, there's something else. But within it, there is this life, death, life, death, evolution of consciousness that, you know, we need to pay attention to. Yes. Polly, you were so, as always, so radiantly clear. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you to all our listeners. And thank you, Gary, for joining us today. And thank you, Chris. And so, um, till we meet again. Yes, and may all beings have a conscious death. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Blessings. Blessings, yes. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. And to continue the conversation, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find past episodes of the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and CastBox. Enemies from War to Wisdom is recorded and produced by Chris Coltrane.